0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. Why don't you take your the word, the sword of the Lord you have with you, the word of God, and open to Romans 6, verse 20, verses 20 through 23 is where we're going to be this morning. A couple things from from last week. I showed a picture last week. I, went out, I had a conversation with somebody this week just kind of looking at this picture of last week and uh, the eye in the picture. Caleb, you can bring that up. You can kind of see it from back there, but maybe you can see the the eye up top there. Maybe it looks familiar from a, like a dollar bill, something like that. I've got the next picture is a little zoomed in in case you need to see it. We can just leave it there for now. Um, it was kind of a question, is this, is this an ungodly eye maybe or something Demonic, maybe um, Maybe you've seen movies like National Treasure, I think, talks about the eye. Um, what else did I see? There, uh, Lord of the Rings, the eye of Sauron. And then I was looking even, I think, this morning, Doctor Strange. I haven't seen Doctor Strange. Not sure I'd recommend Doctor Strange. But there's something about eye in there. It's quite interesting. So is that what's going on here? I, I think the eye though, has a more godly history like what you see here than what's been hijacked, like other symbols around us. I'll talk about that in a bit. But the painting itself, you can see it from there. If you can make out, all of these images have scriptural references with them. This particular eye has 1 Peter 3.12, and it reads like this. 10-12 through says, "...for whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's been called in history, it's been called the eye of providence, which is Interesting. Goes back even, I think, probably sooner to the 1500s, and the triangle here being a symbol for the Trinity. That's what we've looked at in our in our doctrine class this fall. That God sees everything, even if you look on a on a dollar bill and you can translate the Latin on your own. But I think their intention there, at least, I believe, was a good intention to say, "Look at how God has favored us," and even the um, the. Layers of the, the pyramid there are 13 for the 13 colonies. And so I think it's, it's a way of saying, I don't think it's a secretive thing. I think it's a way of saying God has shown his favor over our nation. That, that idea there. Um, but as with other symbols, they certainly can be used for ungodly, maybe demonic purposes. Think of the rainbow. This other person and I were joking, you know, what if we just put up rainbow flags in the front of our yard? That would be a perfectly godly symbol. Because of the rainbow, what it represents in Scripture and God's withholding of His judgment and God's grace. And yet today, all of us, when we think of rainbow, we think of the hijacked symbol. So I think maybe in some ways that's going on here. What I think is neat is what is the artist here pointing out. Here is God's seeing eye. This triune God, He sees everything. He's over everything. No path is hidden from Him. So... Good, good to look at and look into that. Now, I wanna, I've got one more picture, and this is from Micah. And Micah got this, and these two, these two ways here, that, that other picture was pointing out. The way to destruction and hell and the flames of fire and the way to heaven. And Micah, what I think is so cool about this picture is a little, little detail. If my battery will will work, and it probably won't, it's all gone this week. But you can see Jesus there on the left. Jesus who comes for lost sinners and pulls them out and brings them to himself. So thanks for pointing it out for us, Micah. That's our hope in Christ. All right. Well, that's where we were. Let's come into our passage then at verse 20 through 23. Romans 6. Let's listen to God's word. <coughs> for when you were slaves of sin... In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray to our Lord again. Lord Jesus, we pray that right now your spirit will work amongst us as we have read your word and as we look and study your word. You have been gracious and you are and you will be gracious to us that we would, that we would remember your steadfast love of old and, it would, and that remembrance would encourage us to continue to walk with you through the toils of this life and on into eternity where we will enjoy you forever. Lord, thank you that all of this is a gift of yours. We have not earned this. May we rejoice in the gift and bear fruit from the gift that you have given us today. We just pray you guide our time right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Madeline helped me. I didn't want to go by myself. And we did not steal these from the neighbor down the street here. He has offered us his apples. But you see up here we've got uh, got a whole bowl of fruit. Kids, if you want some semi-good fruit, some of it's good. I told Madeline, let's pick a few rotten ones just to compare, rotten fruit. Uh, but it's fruit, a bowl of fruit. That's kind of what we're looking at today. Some of this, obviously, is different. This fruit is different from this fruit. This you'd call a pear. This is an apple. They're going to come from different trees. So a pear, I did not pick this from the apple tree. The pear came from the pear tree and the apple comes from the apple tree, unless you're doing some weird hybrids and grafting. and that, well, I'm not talking about that. Just typically, pears and apples come from the respective trees. And in our passage, Paul wants us to consider fruit and to look at fruit from two different lives. There's, there's fruit While we were slaves to sin, there's fruit there, and then there's fruit while slaves of God. And throughout chapter 6, there's been kind of this back and forth of the old man, the life of sin, the reign of sin, and then this this new life in Christ, and that there's no neutral, we looked at last week, no middle ground. You're, You're either a slave to sin bearing fruit for death, or you are in Christ bearing fruit towards eternal life. And so verse 19 ended, and you see the, the word there, with sanctification. We're going to look at that a little bit more as it comes up today. Paul's going to see this and look at sanctification and eternal life as these fruits of being slaves to God. Far, far, far better fruit. So let's come back to our text at verse 20 and just consider really the fruits of the past here. Verse 20 for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In order for Paul here to teach the Romans the truths of their new life in Christ by the Spirit, he takes them back in time, what they were. That time when sin was the master, not God. They were slaves to the one they obeyed, slaves to sin. But within that, there was a, a certain, and a, under quotation a certain freedom. And I wonder if it's a freedom that maybe still tempts us. Paul's phrase here, he's got the phrase, you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And it carries with it that in in one day, one kind of way of thinking about it, there was no obligation to obey. Certainly there's a penalty for sin and that, that would come. They would not be free from judgment. But those in sin, they enjoy a certain kind of freedom. Maybe that's why it's a temptation of Satan or our own flesh to look at those, those, maybe look at that freedom. Think of the things you could do. I mean, man, you get your Sunday mornings free, right? Or uh, you can keep more of your money. You have to give your money to the church and tithe. You can keep more money. There's a, there's a freedom there. Maybe say whatever you want. I, I'm free when you're a slave to sin, whatever I want. Whatever pleasures I want. Perhaps to quote Billy Joel, he sums it up well. They say there's a heaven for those who await. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. You remember this song? I won't sing it to you. It says I'd rather laugh with the sinners and cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Only the good die young. That's Billy Joel's take. That's a a certain kind of... Of freedom. But Paul in verse 21 asks a question here. Look at verse 21. He says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What kind of fruit were you getting? Before you reminisce of a certain freedom, consider the NIV, NASB puts it as, consider the benefit or the outcome or the fruit of your life. And Paul looks at the fruit, I think, in two ways here. One is things that are ashamed, this moral shame, that's one. And then two, God's judgment. So number one, things of which you are now ashamed, he says. Things of which you are now ashamed. You see the word things here. Not the first time. I know it kind of seems like maybe a, a throwaway word here, but chapter 1, we read God gave sinful man up to a debased mind. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil. There's a whole list there, covetousness, malice, and so on. And in chapter 2, pa- Paul challenges the ones that are that are hearing this, and he says, what about you? You, you the judge, you who judge them, you practice the very same things. The very same things. And so in our verse 21, Paul doesn't uh, list the things here, but we can let chapter 1 and 2 kind of fill that in. This fruit, when they were a slave to sin, it was fruit of shame. Things that now they're ashamed of. Maybe you can relate. You can think back on a life you lived before Christ and recall just how many shameful things you did. Or, or you have come to Christ very young, and yet all of us, in a way, with this old man, the flesh in us, we can look back with shame on our sin and look at that and see the shame of the sins of the past. John Calvin comments here. He says, Paul asserts, quote, that we are possessed with extreme blind love for ourselves. We're possessed with extreme blind love for ourselves when we were involved in the darkness of our sins and think not that there is so much filth in us. He's blinding like, there's not, I'm not that bad. I'm not that filthy. There's a blindness. And then he says, the light of the Lord alone can open our eyes to behold the filthiness which lies hid in our flesh. Sin brings moral shame. The grace of God enlightens it. But there's also God's judgment. That's the second thing, things of which the end is death. That's really the end of verse 21. For the end of those, those things is death. And we might ask here, and it's good, what kind of death is this? Is it just a physical death? Just when you die, then it's all kind of over? Is it spiritual? Is it one time? Is it eternal? Death here is directly connected to sin, and sin's effects are eternal. Jesus says this in Matthew 25. He speaks of the unrighteous who do not serve him. He says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Think of that that great judgment in Revelation 20, verse 15. It says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire which is where death itself is thrown into forever. So Doug Moo writes this and helps us in the context here. Think of the context of where we're at. He says, in contrast with eternal life, that's verse 22, we'll get there. In contrast with eternal life, death refers particularly to what we usually call eternal death. The eternal separation from God in hell that begins after death. Isn't this, what Paul's writing here, really just kind of a microcosm of the story of Adam and Eve? It's just kind of retold maybe in a different way. There's fruit in Genesis 3, 6. The fruit it looked good. looked like a delight to the eyes. It could make one wise. And so Adam and Eve ate. And they experienced a certain kind of freedom from righteousness to eat. But what fruit... Did they bear from that fruit? They bore, yes, physical death, spiritual death, the broken, the severed relationship with God, the shame. Even in chapter 3, God is gracious, yet that's what they bore, the shame before their God, their Creator. It's what sin brought, it's the fruits of sin. And so we come to verse 22, and just as we saw in chapter 3, verse 21 a change, transition, a but now. Look at verse 22. But now, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Verse 22 is drastically separated from verse 21, and it's all because of, the but now is a work of God's grace. And we see it even in the way, even in the verbs that are used here, these, these, these lines. You have been, uh, verse 22, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. They're in the passive voice, which means it's, it's, it's not a direct action of the person. It's action that has happened to them. They're passive in it. This thing has happened. They've been set free. They've been released. They've become slaves of of God, and the Spirit of God has worked in the heart to produce faith in Christ to convert one from death and slavery to sin to eternal life and slavery, gracious, wonderful slavery to god and it is for us to not miss this it's a spiritual work it's a supernatural work going on in the heart of the believer, and I wonder if if we you or i believe this or think of the supernatural anymore it's been hijacked somewhat by the the tv evangelists and the miracle worker and we think ah oh, supernatural that's for that's for tv or some other land this work that god is doing by his spirit is supernatural in within us by his spirit making alive what was dead and so we praise god for this work and for setting us free but as we looked last week what are then what are we set free to do? And so by God's grace, we are set free from sin to become slaves of God, to be conformed to His image, to obey His will, and to find ultimate rest and joy in Him. These these events of the garden, of that one man, Adam, that took away our life and our joy and our relationship to God, they're reversed by God Himself sending His Son to bear the wrath and the cross, that by His Spirit we might be renewed to look by faith and so be saved and converted to the Lord and restored and and one day made perfectly new. Before you were getting fruit leading to death, but now you're getting fruit that's unto sanctification and to its end eternal life. And I want to answer, or hope to answer, two questions that come out of these, this last part of verse 22 as we study. Number one, what is sanctification? What's Paul saying here? And then number two, how is it connected to eternal life? Because it kind of seems like, does it merit eternal life? Does sanctification merit? Is it our way of earning eternal life? So two questions. Number one, what is sanctification? One helpful definition I found goes like this, and this was just, you know, as you look at the Greek word in here and find the definition, I'm doing this by computer and finding this. Here's what one definition went like. It said, personal dedication to the interests of the deity. Personal dedication to the interests of the deity. that an interesting way to say it. You're dedicated no longer to your interests. What you're interested in is not what you're interested in. It's what God, the deity, is interested in. You're you're all about Him. You're slaves to Him. And that's to be sanctified. You care about what He cares about. You want what He wants, not what I want. It's a reordering of priorities so they become His priorities. And so His sanctifying Spirit reorders our hearts to be obedient, gladly obedient to His will. Whatever you would have. Now, within this, theologically, sanctification, I think our statement of faith alludes to this, there's three aspects of it. I've got a, one more picture here to show that's maybe helpful. It comes out of a Wayne Grudem's book, Systematic Theology. All the seniors, all those who have graduated, have this book. Uh, but anyway, it's helpful. It's not the Bible. It's just helpful to think about theology. And you can kind of look at it this way as I go through this. Number one... Aspect of sanctification is positional. That's just on the bottom. There's kind of three tiers here on the bottom. Slaves to sin, the non-Christian positionally. Sanctification tied to the regenerating work of the Spirit. That's this new creation. The decisive, the Spirit wrought new birth. Number one there, circled, conversion. From death to life. It's like what Paul says in Romans 6.11. Dead to sin, alive to to God. And Wayne Grudem comments here. He says this this change of one, it's it's a change of one's primary love and primary desires, and it occurs at the beginning of sanctification. That's positional. Number two is progressive. That's, if you're in Christ, that's where we are at. And notice that's a pretty wiggly line, number two of the Christian life. This progressive, this this cooperative work of God and us. And I, and I say that because we've got passages like Philippians 2 that talk about work out your own salvation, work it out, since it is God who is working in you. There's this call of God. Walk by the Spirit. Obey. Do this. And I'm working in you to do that by my Spirit. Progressive. Hebrews 12 admonishes believers. Verse 14, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Or Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 14 and 15, as obedient children. Okay, so you're you're now children. Positionally, you are children of God in Christ. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Again, this is not perfectionism. We haven't arrived perfectly, but there's this growing maturity in two two ways. One is a deepening understanding of our own sinfulness and a growing love for God in Christ who saves us out of our sinfulness. There's this maturity. And again, the line's not perfectly straight. There are dips. How many of us have had dips this week or this morning or even, even during our time of worship and you've dipped and yet God is... Faithful to complete a work. And so we get the last one, till death, and then there's perfect holiness, ultimate sanctification, finally transformed. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 puts it this way. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And I alluded to it, but Philippians 1, verse 6, where Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's a work of God, yet we're working, we're growing. There's a call to holiness, grow, bear fruit, be sanctified, Question number two, does this all, does this merit eternal life? Does this earn eternal life? So the text here in the ESV, it ties sanctification. I think of the progressive kind to eternal life. And it, it can sound like, uh, you know, sanctification and its end, eternal life, it can sound like somehow we merit or earn this eternal life. What we need to hear, though, here. Is that sanctification is the normal expectation of every true believer in Christ? It, it's normal. Sanctification's end is eternal life because everyone who has eternal life is being sanctified. Why? Because they have another word for sanctified is holiness. Hagias I think is the Greek here. Holiness. What do we have in Christ? The Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will be bearing fruits of sanctification, holiness. It's not the ground of our salvation, it's the evidence of it. F.F. Bruce puts it firmly. He says, "Those, those who have been justified are now being sanctified. Those who have no experience of present sanctification have no reason to suppose they have been justified. Now be careful, you can get into here and you can, you can look at your life and every part and go, I'm saved, I'm not, I'm, I'm this, and I'm not sure. Come back to Christ if that's you in that category. Or you're in, oh yeah, I was saved back there. It doesn't really, I'm kind of free, so I'm fine. Hear the warning. Don't, don't make that the assurance of your salvation. Again, First John, even the book of First John is helpful within that. Fruit-bearing sanctification can be said, I think, to lead to eternal life in that it's the character of those who possess eternal life. It is of those who already have eternal life. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, there is no such thing as a Christian who does not bear fruit. Some might be tiny, some might be little, some there's a lot of rotten edges, but there's fruit and there's the bearing of fruit. We're not, how much in this? God's working in each of us. But he says there's no such thing as a Christian who does not bear fruit. You cannot be a Christian without bearing fruit. And so we get to verse 23. And it's a verse in the Greek, and you can get excited about this. There's no verbals. There's no verb in this Verse you see it in the English, but there's none, and it's like a ding, 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 emphasis, exclamation mark. Look at this, and hopefully, many of you know this by heart. You've memorized it, maybe along with John three sixteen or Romans three twenty three. It's along the ro- if you're doing a Romans road, it's along the road in Romans. You can preach the whole gospel I did years ago uh, just from this one verse alone. Let's read it. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe you've heard this all too often used phrase. I, I don't really love it, but it fits here. You've heard the phrase, somebody's being interviewed, and they say, well, at the end of the day. You hear that phrase, at the end of the day, so-and-so you know, says it. It's kind of a, it's a popular way to say, in summary, or maybe the older phrase is the, the bottom line. Tell me the bottom line, at the end of the day, that idea... Here, it's out of this section, verse 23. At the end of the day, there's verse 23. It's a summary statement because it summarizes, the first part summarizes verses 20 and 21. Spoke of the end of those things being death. And so the wages of sin is death. What is earned is death. And we've already looked to see death here has more eternal significance than just merely physical death. One scholar has said here in regard to these wages, he said this. He said, sin is a deceiver. It promises life and gives death. Think about sin as a deceiver. I just thought that was an interesting way to say it. Sin promises life. Oh, your reward, your wages, freedom, life. It gives death. All right. But... In case we come out of verse 22 with lingering doubts of eternal life and somehow it's merited by us, Paul makes clear, no, it's a gift. It's a free gift. It's given, and it comes by the means of Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is, in fact, earned. Eternal life is given. The Spirit has set you free in Christ. You've been justified by His grace as a gift. Or, or earlier, thanks be to God that you've become obedient from the heart. So present yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. And one last phrase again. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is all anchored in Christ. Look at the last verse of chapter 5. It's like Paul just never too far and comes back. The last verse 21 of chapter 5, As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our life is bound up again in Christ, Christ Jesus, Messiah, our Savior and our Lord. The word there is curios, and from it, you can get back in verse 14 where it says sin shall, have, shall no longer have dominion. It, it, it's kind of the same, same word group there. The, sin will not have lordship over you. Why? Because you've been, you've been given to a new lord, a gracious, wonderful, great shepherd, dying for his people, being raised, that you've been raised with him, Lord. That's who you serve. We serve a new lord. I love what I came across this reading J.C. Ryle, again, in his book, Holiness. He says, in justification, think of that that being declared righteous. So, two ways to look. Justification, that being declared righteous by faith in Christ. Sanctification, kind of that, that walking, thinking that progressive walk within the Spirit. Our Christian lives. He says this, in justification, the word to be addressed to man is believe. That was chapter 4. By faith. Walk in the footsteps of Abraham. By faith. Believe. Only believe, he says. In sanctification, the word must be, and he actually gives three words, but he says in sanctification, the word must be watch, pray, and fight. Watch, pray, and fight. Work hard. Press on, Paul would say. Work hard as a a joyful servant of your Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that, John 15, only in Him can you bear fruit. And then press on. In the strength He supplies. And then praise God that all of what you have, all of what you are in Christ, is truly, at the same time, a gift from God. Let's pray. Lord, were were you to count the shameful ways and put on a chalkboard all of our shameful ways for everybody to see what, what an infinite amount of sin we would bear. Perhaps thinking at the moment, we're free. It's all pleasure. It's all about me. And yet, Lord, your grace enlightens us by your Spirit who gives light to Darkened and blind eyes to see Jesus, the holy Savior, and to look to him. I pray for any soul today that has not looked to Christ within the hearing of this message today, that they would look upon this gracious gift and receive it as that. And so receiving it, all praise is due to you, Lord. And Lord, for us believers, us Christians, may that name not just be a name we call ourselves, not, a, not a, a political name or just a title, but a name that looks like how we live. We live and look like Christ. It's a gift of you in our lives to do that. And it's a work you will complete at the end. And so all praise and glory goes to you. Lord, do this work in us Give us the strength to walk and live for you. I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.